When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Hello, so at the end of Liverpool's beating of Spurs, we're back with you for yet another quick turnaround pod as this season of rapid game week transitions continues. The whole gang's with this evening. First up, Nick, how are you doing? Uh, yeah, I'm not too bad, thanks. Yeah, it's, as you said, it's really non-stop football right now, isn't it? And uh, certainly helping, I guess, with the uh, dry January and lockdown where there's nothing else to do other than work, eat, watch football and continue to grow my beard. Of course, we are Who Got The Assist. Uh, make sure to join our league if you haven't already. The league code is CPSULF. Also joined by Anthony. How are you doing? Hi hey lads, how are you getting on? Good to be back again and good to have another game week down. Um, we have a quick fire pod this week uh, because unlike last pod where we had a chance to actually digest things, we're yet again back to that uh, rapid turnover. So first of all, this pod is going to be led by correspondence. For the first time, the versatile section finally becomes the market leader in the Who Got the Assist uh, spectrum. Tom is loving it. Uh, we'll also be answering some of the other questions that have come in from you guys uh, on the issues of the day. However, as per normal, we are going to start with the game of reviews and market forces. Yep, and it's an unfamiliar face uh, acting as the bottom feeder this week, isn't it, Nick? Uh, after quite a quite a difficult uh, game week for yourself, and um, quite a what do you, you said you're saying it was a bit of a fall from grace, weren't you, before we got on? It's not good. I mean, it's it's only a tiny red arrow, to be fair. All in all, I think I'm still just reading from from the uh, damage from the previous week, and I was hoping for a little bit of a boost, but it's not not happened. So I, I did get 52 points, but also took a hit, which takes me down to 48. So yeah, red arrow d- down about sort of five. 10k or something in total so not a huge red arrow but still red arrow nonetheless i mean it started off pretty well suchek getting a brace that was pretty exciting um yeah that was that was great and then with the triple city it was, it was a bit of a roller coaster game because i had sterling stones and diaz as i when the halls of chancello gunderson came in i was feeling quite glum but then sterling at least um got a goal and assist in the second half and i got clean sheets from and stones which definitely helped um bring my rank up a little bit but apart from that after that it was just rubbish everyone else blanked in the team basically um adams blanked dallas uh, martinez and goal and fernandez the captain also blanked um and then in tonight's game kane got subbed off at half time had an assist ruled out salah had the goal ruled out and robertson got nothing it was Trent's night instead so all in all yeah not not great but I know um, a couple of you guys are catching up with me now aren't they I'm not but I still had a good game week Um, I went from 720k to about 550ish k from I got a 68 minus 8 so the minus 8 was to remove Kevin De Bruyne was to remove Kilman finally the turd which would not flush was flushed Plunger was out and everything, but I finally got rid of him. And uh, Jamal Lewis, and in came uh, Ruben Diaz, Stones, and uh, Gundawan. And that went pretty well. 68 minus eight key performances from the aforementioned Gundawan with the 14. Out of nowhere, actually, that guy um, you know, just became Kevin De Bruyne, except worth 5.5. Incredible. Except one who is an elite finisher. Hmm. Um, the first game, though, was great. Um, Thomas Suchek for the 15, and also. Uh, Big Mike Dawson, um, otherwise known as Craig, got the nine-pointer elsewhere, like the greatest of the business. There was obviously the ubiquitous Captain Blank uh, for everybody except those who were ballsy enough to go out with a Cancelo captaincy uh, on Bruno Fernandes. Um, but, I mean, yes, 60 points. It sounds like that was a quite a good one this week, and certainly in terms of how I've gotten away with uh, quite a hefty green arrow according to live rank. Um, so I, I can't be unhappy with that. And it looks like a fairly obvious uh, transfer has opened itself up because I've still got Vardy to get rid of. And um, with Kane, who was going to come in, um, now looking injured, um, there's only one way to go. And we'll talk about that a little bit later on. At the top of the pile, Anthony. Well, you're definitely catching up to Nick now, aren't you? It's, uh, live FPL is showing it as 10 points, which is um, much closer than it used to be, which is nice to see. But I guess this game week was quite good, but could have been better. And I know this is like a hashtag points scenario, but bear with me. 
because I have Suchek benched and yet I still managed to get 67 points. Um, thanks, yeah, thanks basically to loads of people who are or loads of players that were under 7 million. So I had the Cancelo 17 points, the Diaz 6, uh, Gundogan there with 14 points and Saka as well in midfield with 13. Ollie Watkins obviously getting in with a goal as well for six points. And then just a bunch of ones and twos and the Bruno Fernandes captain uh, in on that. So like that's really good on paper, but it is kind of one of those ones where you're looking at Suchek there on the bench and wondering, oh, did I make? Like, yeah. Did I make? I was happy with my decision. If you get me, like I wasn't sitting there going, oh, I've made a great mistake when the deadline passed, yeah. and I played the likes of Dallas and Sufal ahead of him. But of course, like within seconds, West Ham had the clean sheet left out, and within uh, within even a few more minutes, really, Suchek had his brace, <laughs> and it all felt like a bit of a disaster, and it, it did go up from there. Um, so now I'm at. Uh, my rank going into this game week was 269k post auto subs. It looks like it's going to be 162k. So things are coming together, but you need to grab the breaks when they come your way. And I feel like whilst I've obviously done quite well here, I need to grab the breaks bigger when they are coming my way. I had the I had the components in my side to have an absolutely huge week and I missed that. And that's a bit frustrating, but I, I can't complain overall. Yeah, I think, I think the um, yeah that game weeks are always the hardest, aren't they? I, I think you were probably the only man on Twitter campaigning for Kane and Son uh, to be injured oh, and not, I, not honestly, play the game. I, I'd have been so delighted if the Liverpool Spurs match was just called off. Like it would have been just <laughs> like oh. Yeah, I was, I was, I was genuinely there. I was searching through Twitter, you know, like cane injury, just like trying to find something to grab onto for the last two days. And there was someone was someone in some Tottenham forum was trolling by retweeting something from the twentieth of January last year where Kane was injured. And briefly, my heart skipped a beat where I thought, yes, and the, no, no, twenty twenty, not twenty twenty one. So it's it's been a bit Cursed of a him then by the sounds of things. Yeah, yeah, maybe I did curse him, but at least I've made my transfer easier <laughs> for yeah. this week. So, thanks, thanks for that one. No, no problem. Yeah, I've, I've taken Spurs off the title charge just as United have gone <laughs> off theirs as well. It's It's been a real tough few days. Devastating. Exactly. Well, speaking of making transfers easier, Nick, what are people doing in the transfer market in the market forces? Uh, yeah, so it's been pretty busy again in the market forces. I guess it's all about the city boys, isn't it? So firstly, we've got Gundogan, which is... Um, He's being bought almost as quickly as shares in GameStop with uh, 260,000 transfers in so far, except there is a little bit of underlying value here. He's obviously got seven goals in eight games, breaking his record for a single season, only costs 5.6 million. Looks like an absolute steal at the moment. Um, otherwise, his uh, teammate Cancelo, another player, as uh, Stag alluded to, completely bossed it this week with a goal, assist and clean sheet, which is the holy trinity of FPL returns. He's had 180,000 transfers in so far. And um, also Stone's getting quite a lot of attention with 90,000 transfers in. No brace this week, but yet another clean sheet. That's now nine clean sheets in 11 games for him this season, which is just a phenomenal record. He's only conceded two goals on the pitch this season, probably saving all his mistakes for the Euros in the summer, <laughs> no doubt. But um, yeah, having a ridiculously good season for, for Stone's. Otherwise, um, DCL as well, another player heavily um, being bought at the moment, also 90,000 transfers in. Um, obviously, we've got some questions on Everton a little bit later, so we'll talk about him a little bit later. And, and then there's Kane, so a few people <laughs> breaking the Austin rule here, really, because he's fifth for the market forces at the moment with 85,000 transfers Ooh. in, which is just, uh, I think a few people are going to get punished there because obviously he came off at half time. And probably with the quick turnaround, he's probably not going to be fit for the next game. Have to wait and see. But yeah, look, looking like a, a dodgy move, that one. Yeah, a bit of an unfortunate one. But I guess like breaking the Austin rule, you know, at this point in what has already been a pretty turbulent season kind of seems like something that really should be avoided if at all possible. So not not to say, you know, one of those kind of they deserve it. But at the same time, it's kind of, oh, it's, it's a tough one for uh, those owners. Uh, in terms of players being sold, then really it's... Uh, it's two strikers that are leading the charge in that sense. It's Bamford and Vardy being most sold, probably soon to be joined by Kane, as you allude to. Kevin De Bruyne then being the third most sold. All kind of sensible transfers with people just trying to clean up value, basically. Yeah, probably a lot of people having done that Vardy to Kane switch and now going to have to transfer out yet another injured player. So, yeah, a bit of craziness in the market this week. But, um, yeah, we'll, we'll move on then to uh, correspondence, shall we? So, uh, Anthony, who's written in this week? So yeah, we've actually got our, I think our first, our first ever correspondent is our first ever person to be mentioned twice in correspondence. And it's uh, Desperately Seeking Dusan, a friend of the show. And he's 
written in with a follow-up on the relationship between pricing and benching, which is something that's kind of been alluded to by us recently, but is something which has uh, definitely been coming up in the FPL community after the uh, many people like myself benching Suchek over the weekend. So Alan has basically pointed out uh, a few tweets to us where people were kind of talking about how if Suchek was an 8 million player, would he, would we ever have considered benching him? And observing generally how Suchek has been benched uh, most often for Robbo as far as Alan is concerned. And he's basically asking about whether we will ever be able to shake the cognitive bias that we have when it comes to team selection and picking players. Uh, Alan says, whilst there is often a focus on value, the reason many brought in Suchek, when it comes to actually starting these players over a more expensive asset, it seems difficult for many to do so, even when the more expensive player has an ostensibly more difficult fixture. The old bias that quality is associated with higher cost. If we take Rabo this week, why hit, why play him away to Spurs, which is a difficult game over Suchek, who was playing against a side that had the third worst XGC over the last six game weeks. Perhaps this is hindsight, but other than the sight of a 7.4 million player on the bench feeling, quote unquote, wrong, there is no reason not to have picked Suchek. Good, succinct question. And that's pretty much it, lads. So what do you think about that and the idea of pricing benching? So, yeah, this is a hot topic issue. And I know that um, FPL General, for example, has mentioned this on the 59th Minute pod um, this week. So I'm going to give it a slightly different spin, drawing on my behavioural science past and also my professional background and what I do now for my job in terms of research, insight and strategy uh, in finance. Not that matters to anybody. Uh, but anyway, um, what this question really touches on is something called the price quality heuristic. Uh, the idea being that we often don't know the quality of what we're purchasing without a frame of reference. That's what price does. Price assumes a huge importance alongside things like brand recognition. Her behavior also uh, has a bit of an important role to play. So, for example, the meme stock bubble with GameStop, as Nick alluded to earlier, um, playing uh, a huge role today in an amazing example, bubbling. Um, but price is so important because it's a perpetual cue which denotes quality, and it does so throughout the FPL season. And it's where we often fall into the pitfall of price quality heuristics, especially now, um, using that price as a cue for quality. In real life, we often find ourselves defaulting to big brands for a variety of reasons. Uh, for example, nebulous factors such as trust. Think about it. You're likely to own lots of goods created by bigger brands versus substitute brands such as your smartphone, which is likely to be a Samsung, an Apple phone. It's not likely to be you know, a brand that you've never heard of, although maybe something like OnePlus or smartphone may be a value brand that actually is pretty good beyond the price and creates quality. Uh, applying that to FPL, brand recognition is really important it's analogous to big teams well-known players and it informs a lot of strategies for people who aren't particularly engaged in fpl so i think around game week one your less engaged friends will be saying man nice you know they're quite good aren't they i'll get three of them because i'm a fan of them or you'll hear i've heard of him he's pretty good i'll buy him in fpl because players often are a bit more pricey that means as a default of the price quality heuristic we trust them so we look at them and say, oh, he's got a high price tag. He must be worth it. Therefore, I'm going to get him. And it does throughout the season mean we default to these pricier players when there's better options on the table. KDB, a salient example, I was having a discussion in a group uh, the other day. And there are those who said, you know, KDB will always come back into my team because he's worth it. I enjoy having him in there. Fair play if you enjoy having him in there. But last season, great at 9.5 million. This season, 11.8 million. Really, is that worth the money? Are you not looking at the price of the player and thinking that represents quality? Mm. Another example, Mo Salah in many squads. No FPL returns since the 19th of December, that Crystal Palace game. So looking at most data points at the moment, KDB, for example, is he really worth the money? He's outscored by the likes of Suchek, Callum Wilson this season. He's equal in points with Nick Pope. There's also brilliant underlying data for him, but there's no poop to go with it. Ultimately, we trust the brand of KDB, but we've been let down this year. I'm not immune to that, of course. Uh, but at some point, you've got to question if he's done enough to earn our trust. Suchek, the example that's mentioned there, is easy to say, He's low price, so he's a bencher. But the thing to get your head around now is that his quality has exceeded his price. So the price's ability to act as a guide to his quality, his value, as Nick said in the past, is no longer as valid as it was at the beginning of the season, which is now 20 game weeks ago, and it no longer applies as strongly. That means we have to use other factors than price to gauge how important a player is, how quality a player is. 
stats, for example. So I pointed out on Twitter, Palace conceded the second most head chance of the season and the most for set piece of last four, which may have led to some 50-50 calls going towards them rather than away from them for me. So I played Suchek and Dawson this week. But yeah, the overall message, I guess, is we've got to be mindful of this price quality heuristic now in the season. Now we're so divorced from when the price were initially set. There's innumerable examples, be it likes of Suchek, maybe now Gundawan this year, um, and in the past, likes of Todd Cantwell, uh, likes of Josh King, the likes of Riyad Mahrez. Like price ceases to be an accurate guide for quality eventually for so many players when you get to a point of the season like right now. The final kind of thing to point out, which really shows price quality heuristic in action, if Gundawan was 10 million, would he be the most captain player this weekend? I bet yes, by a landslide. So many people would captain him without really thinking about it. That really does underline how price quality heuristic really does inform and drive FPL managers' behaviours. What do you guys think about that? As you said, we can be blinded by a player's price, but often that price is, is predetermined by the historical performances and players that cost over 10 million are typically there because in the previous season they scored 200 plus points and were viable captain picks over the course of the season. They're players with significant reputations, as you know, but those reputations have been moulded over the course of three to four seasons where they've got 10 plus goals, 10 plus assists. Kevin De Bruyne, obviously, last season, he was the uh, top scoring player in the game, whilst uh, Gundogan, he only scored about uh, three or four goals, I think. So, you know, in that sense, Kevin De Bruyne has the reputation. He's got the uh, the previous history to, to fall back on, whilst the likes of Gundogan, obviously, he's in incredible form, the best form of his career, ultimately. But he, he scored more in the last seven game weeks than he's managed in an entire season before. So you have to wonder if this is just a, a temporary blip, whilst players like Bruno Fernandes or Mo Salah, as you alluded to, have, they've got that historical performance that reputation that obviously precedes them and we know that Salah or someone like that can turn up any day bang a hat-trick in in 35 minutes and that, that's the risk obviously of, of players like like him but I think you know obviously you made some excellent points and I made some excellent points as well and I think I did look at it and I thought a little bit about captain picks as well as, as you mentioned captain picks and I remember like when, when you saw some of these players emerge like Harry Kane I think this was one of my best ever FPL seasons actually when I uh, backed him as a Spurs fan when he first emerged on the scene. Many managers were still backing the £13 million Van Persie that season. And I think Van Persie didn't have a great season. Harry Kane was only £4.5 million, broke into the team and uh, did massive returns and, and was excellent for me. And then obviously Riyad Mahrez, he's another great example of this when he emerged on the scene, ended up being the top scorer in the game, £5.5 million. Hardly anyone captained him over the course of that season. But if you were a Leicester fan or if you caught him early and then captained him most of that season, you'd have ended up with a sort of top 10k rank very easily. So I think, you know, there are cases for and against, as I said, you, you mostly hide it for. So I thought I'd highlight some of the cases why why we back these premium players, which is based on past performance ultimately over a significant period of time. And that's part of the reason I personally went for Raheem Sterling, even though I knew that I was, I was paying a, a significant more amount of money I had it in the bank because at the moment the, the premiums are doing very very badly but this is this is rare for FPL we, we never have this scenario where you know the best performing midfielders of all game week are all yeah. around five five point five million and all the premiums have done absolutely sod all but you know that's very much the exception to the norm we're, we're very much saying used to saying the obvious captain is obvious the premiums are premiums for reasons these are rules we've quoted before and mm. I feel um you know obviously this week's different but most of the time they do perform. Yeah, and I guess what definitely distinguishes now versus other periods as well is that it's not just this game week. It's multiple game weeks in a row now that the likes of uh, Salah and Fernandes have been disappointing. And that's extremely unusual. Now, I think kind of maybe bringing what both of you guys were saying together, um, maybe to give my own view on this, is that, yeah, I think, Nick, how you were pointing out that there is a historical basis of most players' prices, obviously new players, that wouldn't be into the Premier League, that wouldn't be the case. But there is a historical basis to the value that is ascribed to most players. And think, as you say as well, overall, that tends to be pretty good. Like, there are exceptions, obviously, going to one right now, definitely falls into that category. Even Lundstrom last season, you know, was definitely the opposite of uh, well-priced. 
Now, what Tom is saying about how stats are our means to value players, I think that's totally right. And I think if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably inclined to believe that anyway, that, you know, you don't necessarily get tied in just by value, but there is inherently a bias towards the more expensive players. But that's, I think, not necessarily just because of their prices and because people are tied to the fact that they've spent money on that player. It's tied to the fact that they, people remember what Salah did to them before, what Kane did to them before, when they didn't own him, when they didn't captain him, whatever that may be. As well, obviously, the prices, and this is kind of just an obvious point, is that pricing doesn't account for tactical changes. Uh, pricing doesn't account for players managing to you know, just stay fit for long periods of time. And someone like Gundogan kind of is benefiting in both of those categories. And maybe one third aspect that we didn't consider as we were going through this was pretty much last week's topic, uh, ownership. And I guess just, you know, the overall ownership, the effective ownership of players. And that's perhaps why the likes of Suchek could be benched. And that's not just, you know, it's because he's not in as many squads. Bruno Fernandes, of course, you felt like you had to captain him when his ownership was through the roof his effective ownership was like well up over 150 or 160 percent this week you, you almost couldn't not uh, at your peril Sutek, his top 10k ownership was 56.3 percent but his effective ownership because he was benched by so many players was only 23.3 percent which I, I guess shows you that you know that people have a lot of Sucek's type players in their team that they have to bench like I had Gundogan I had Saka I had Sucek play all three of those and to not play premiums to not play highly owned players and not to play players who have historically proven themselves to be brilliant over a far longer and far more consistent and far more explosive period of time than the likes of Saka, Suchek, uh, Gundogan meant that I you know I had to, I felt like I almost had to bench one of them and you could point to the fact that I played four defenders okay fine that's just a me my, my team's point but in general I think I still see why it is the likes of Suchek that get benched and I don't think it's as simple as just a point that people are benching them because of their value I think they're benching them for so much more than just their value it's it's their history it's their form it's what other players have done as well with Suchek it was like oh well I'm not going to be hurt I'm not going to be hurt too much materially in terms of my rank by benching him I guess that's what you're kind of getting at there and obviously you you wouldn't think about benching the likes of um, you know Bruno or something like that I mean, maybe the likes of Robbo versus um, Suchek is more questionable um, as per the question uh, that Alan originally posed. I think that with Suchek, with the data that I unearthed before when I was doing kind of my final decisions, that would have probably meant that I would have benched Robbo for Suchek if I did have the choice. But I think it is always one of those things that it is worth really thinking about the value of the player rather than thinking about the price of the player. But eventually, as I argued, price does eventually become less and less important it's more about what the player does over the course of the season because after a while you know great you know we can we have a salad doing not very much we have a, a, a Gundogan with no real track record yeah fine but he's got a track record for the last few weeks and we should enjoy that while it lasts sort of thing they uh, the, the form is temporary class is permanent you're always going to find that these players um, who are you know, the Salas and KDB of this world probably will come back to prominence in our teams but um, I think that when we do have the chance to kind of reassess reevaluate, and maybe reassign some of our cash to gain then we should but Salah isn't Rosebud you know Salah is real do you know what I mean? Like, I kind of feel like with, with Salah, it's like, okay, sure, there's been a few bad weeks. And even Robbo as well, just to bring yeah. it back to a slightly more realistic option. Um, You know, Robbo didn't do well this week, but, you know, his effective opposite has had a pretty big week in TAA. There's a reason, I guess, why the likes of Suchek will be benched, and it's the fact that he blanked in the, the double game week. And people felt like they could get away with it. And I know you there are stats that would have said that Crystal Palace's defence was the type of one that maybe Suchek would do well against. But you know, the reason why he did well was nothing really to do with set pieces, as it turned out. Um, and it's like, okay, well, there was a bit of it, but not. it wasn't like a direct header off a corner, I guess, is what we're getting at here. And that kind of... Yeah, it just makes you kind of wonder that there is like an element of luck in this and maybe it isn't just all tied up in value. You're not saying FPL is related to luck in any way, shape, or Wait, hang on. Sorry, wait. Sorry, what? No way. I thought it was all skill. <laughs> Scurrilous way to end the correspondence this week. I may I may cancel it after that. Yeah. Wow. Not again. 
<laughs> okay, yeah. So aside from yet another existential threat to the correspondence section, that does conclude this correspondence section, just like all the rest of them, really. Um, who got the assist at gmail.com if you want to send any correspondence to us in the future, be that in audio form, letter form, or whatever else you might think of. Awesome. Thanks, Alan. Really good question. Really topical question as well. There's so much uh, bench angst this week. Moving on to the questions then. Obviously, we do have the, um, the hot topic questions coming up. But the first one, I think, is one that's worth meditating on slightly. It's unfashionable wildcards. Um, I thought it was quite an interesting one to throw in here. So Karen Tyers have wrote in and said it's quite, you know, he's not having the season he hoped for. And he's written in to say he's thinking of wildcarding, but it's unfashionable on social media to do so. Can we kind of talk about the pros and cons of going against the social media meta sentiment in terms of either wildcarding or just other things. I mean, Nick, what, what do you reckon uh, in terms of um, wildcarding and perhaps as well listening to kind of the, the, the herd? Yeah, I mean, when I first heard the question, to be honest, I was, I was kind of really thinking about this particular game week, um, what would drive you to, to wildcard? And I, I couldn't really see, you know, the, there might be reasons people to do it but I couldn't really see them to be honest I think obviously now with Harry Kane being injured you're, you're probably going to see a few more wild carders emerging it's always something like an injury crisis to to drive people to, to wild card but I think as always it very much depends on your your team with um if you're missing out for instance on the triple Manchester City then you, you probably need to make some transfers to get those guys in ASAP there's, there's a few fixture shifts as, as we mentioned the likes of Everton or Leicester coming up with some decent fixtures. Um, and then we've obviously got the the scenario currently with all the premiums who are performing badly and then some of the cheaper assets that you could bring in and and um, and get those guys in and hope to get the points there. But as, as I kind of alluded to in the last question, I, I'm a bit nervous about that just because of the lack of pedigree from some of those assets. So it's something that I'm personally a little bit cautious in relation to um, wildcarding or, or something like that to try and chase down the likes of Saka and, and Gundogan. Uh, but obviously, you know, there, there are very much multiple cases for why you might want to wildcard. Obviously, you get the immediate boost of having a clean, refreshed team, getting all the players you, you want to get in and get rid of all that deadwood. Obviously, the, like, the cons as well. We've got so many different fixtures coming up with double game weeks, all sorts of things like that that we need to prepare for. We don't know the machinations at this moment in time, really. So, you know, and in that sense, I, I, I you know, preach caution. And yeah, no, I think that certainly makes sense. I think in terms of um, you know, chip deployment, um, it really comes down to knowing the risks effectively. I mean, obviously, there are going to be perhaps in hindsight a time of the, there is going to be in hindsight perhaps time of the season when you should have perhaps played your chips. Um, but it really is down to obviously what you do best. I know we say it a lot, but you are the manager of your own team, and excellent players like Simon March have used their wild card um, out of kilter with the Twitter sort of uh, sphere. And that guy doesn't need to prove his credentials at all. Um, and in the first half wildcard, for example, we saw people like Big Man Bakar using his wildcard in game week two, which again, I didn't really agree with, but fundamentally it's his choice. And fundamentally, you know, he's got the records. Why not? Um, look, the reality is you have your team in mind. No one else really has that. And a lot of the time, people who don't have intimate knowledge of your team are trying to give you advice. A lot of the advice you get is from this perspective of somebody who, um, you know, would do something completely different if it was them. An observation of mine is that managers are often advising or encouraging, you know, really risky tactics when they themselves are quite conservative people. They always say, oh, no, take the hit. Yeah, go for the risky captaincy. They'll never do it in their own, you know, in their own team. If you're an experienced manager, like um, Karen is, for example, you know the risks and what you have to do in terms of developing a unique strategy to deal with the end of the season. Um, but I trust your instincts about your team because at the end of the day, you have instant knowledge of your team. And and if you feel that kind of way that you feel like you've got to do it and as Nick said, get that kind of you know, short-term gain and then you can build it from there, um, go for it if you're confident. But an important final point there is, I guess, don't make sure you're not overreacting to just a bad week because... Like if you are just doing that, you pull the wild card in vain, you could find yourself sort of um, out of sorts down the line. Um, and in terms of kind of the general kind of herd thing, yeah, I mean, in, in hindsight, and I first accept this is hindsight, you know, last week, Bruno Fernandes, the captaincy there, there were there were a couple of kind of effects of the fact that due to effects of ownership, everybody knew he was going to be captains. We all said that we were going to captain him. It made complete sense to do so. Uh, but the impacts were that due to effects of ownership, whatever he did was completely irrelevant. And there were huge gains from those not captaining. For example, our friend BNM Matt 
Cancelo 34 points that is massive it's an example of how the ownership isn't always right and you can make those little differences that kind of make or break your season through kind of once or twice going against kind of the established sort of hierarchy of a sort of norm for one seat or for one game week per week uh, even if I prefer to do that in a split pin because I'm a bit of a coward these days uh, Anthony what do you reckon here? Yeah like I think you're right that especially if your season really isn't going to plan I think breaking from the herd is probably it's, it's, it's possibly a route to complete disaster but it's also your best chance um, at getting a ticket to a way higher rank than you currently have rather than the kind of slow but sure maybe TikTok towards um, a more respectable rank that maybe you know you might otherwise go through looking at the wild card right now I kind of just dug into the specifics a tad more um, looking at it just from this perspective right now for a start we don't really know what's actually coming up in front of us. So we have a double game weeks in 24, 26, 27, and a blank in 29. The blanks for game week 29 are going to be confirmed in game week 24, which is multiple game weeks away. And the blank game week 26 doubles are probably going to be announced in game week 24, 26. This is all, by the way, through Ben Crellin. So uh, follow him if you don't follow him already. You're probably missing out big time if you don't. Um, but Ben has put all this together. So, okay, looking at that, you've just there's an awful lot of info about important things to come that you don't necessarily have. Of course, there's three game weeks between now and double game week 24 that you could be making hay while the sun is shining, and that's fair enough too. Now, just looking at the specifics of the fixtures themselves, the fixture shift amongst, let's say, the best teams is actually against Man City um, in the next few weeks. They've had very good fixtures. They're getting a little bit harder, but they are, of course, Man City, and so every fixture is winnable and scorable for them and clean-sheetable. So in spite of the fact that the shift, the fixtures are shifting against them, they are also going to be supplemented by double game weeks. So no matter what you do with your wildcard, you're going to be holding your double or triple city and it's going to be staying that way. Spurs, I think you're going to be keeping at least one of them and that's probably going to be Son now that it looks like Kane might be injured. If you don't have Son already, you'll probably be looking to get him in. You probably still won't want to sell Bruno and I presume he's in your side. And then, let's say, the rest of your team, the nuts and bolts of it. Fixtures look okay for the likes of Palace, Villa, West Ham, Leicester. You probably have a few players from them that you won't want to sell, which means that very quickly, and also, by the way, the teams that the fixtures are turning towards, West Brom, Fulham, Man United, Chelsea, you're not going to be in a massive rush to bring in any of their players that you don't already have, maybe with the exception of Chelsea, if you really want to take a risk. So it just doesn't look like this today the environment is really set up for someone to wildcard and to make massive gains because I don't think that there's there's players that you're going to be bringing in who have particular explosivity that would give you an advantage. And I think you could do much more with your wildcard through the blanks and doubles to come by just veering off what everyone else is doing, maybe when everyone else is wildcarding, probably after game week 29 by the looks of it. Do it your way, but definitely be conscious of those uh, warnings that have been put up by the guys there. Um, I guess we are at a bit of a crossroads, aren't we, at the moment? I've just seen that uh, Harry Kane, uh, Mourinho has said he's out for a few weeks with both ankles injured, uh, for example. So we're really at a case at the moment where we're running out of players to own. <laughs> if we're saying that you know Salah is not at the race anymore, if we're saying that KDB is obviously injured, we're saying Kane's going to be out. Like, What are you going to do with all that money? You're awash at the moment. It's, it's very difficult to be saying who you're going to be bringing in and how you're going to make a team that you're going to be solid and confident in is going to make a difference for you um, but, but especially when you probably already have the fours fives and yeah. six million players you know it's like that's that's what kills me about it is that the wild card maybe to just to move around all those other small assets would make sense you. usually but not right now yeah i think i think you know unless you are convinced um and obviously if you are feeling that way then do it but it feels like one of those which is a bit marginal at the moment I guess moving on to the kinds of teams which could shake the template, even if there is a template anymore, I'm sure it's evaporated in front of our very eyes with that. Um, Return of the Blues. Um, So Thomas Thomas Tuchel now in charge, um, which, if any, Chelsea assets are on our radar in the hope of a new manager bounce. A little finger, um, FPL asked us this, um, you know, where are we looking at in terms of Chelsea? Um, 887 passes, guys. 78.9% possession. The athletes said that had never happened in the first game of an, under a new manager. Um, but I mean, are we interested in any of the Blues at the moment? Surely the case is the fact that Burnley and Spurs are watching weight games and then maybe we'll move afterwards. Uh, Anthony, what do you reckon there? I think, yeah, calling the next few games watch and wait, I think is probably the fairest assessment. Uh, Forwards-wise, I don't think there's an obvious option. 
midfielders, we've this this isn't exactly a unique point to suggest that there's a serious rotation problem there amongst the Chelsea midfielders, and you just can't be certain about what uh, Thomas Tuchel is going to do with his midfielders over the next few games one would suspect that Kai Havertz will be given um, an important role in this side over the next few weeks but we're yet to see enough from Kai Havertz to be super excited and to bring him in now he has obviously was wonderful in the Bundesliga before he came over has had a slow start has had COVID and could be worth the risk but it feels like a bridge too far for me and that really just leaves us with defence and I think to be honest we're still looking at Ben Chilwell as the best option in that defence and he'd be the player that I would be considering bringing in but I won't be rushing to bring in. I think you're right there the problem with Chelsea at the moment is this absolute rotation nightmare we've we've got no idea who, who's going to start week in week out now we've obviously Tuchel he, he's not going to have a, a firmly settled starting 11 right now Mount was obviously benched he was kind of Lampard's favourite but he he uh, started on the bench so don't know when he'll be back in the team and likes of Havertz as you mentioned struggled to adjust this season looks like a no-go Werner popular pick he's he didn't start and it's generally looked toothless and I really like Pulisic as well but he didn't start either I think if I was to suggest an attacker it would probably be Ziyech to be honest um, despite Chelsea's lack of attacking output in that game he was um, getting forward quite a lot making a lot of runs he um, actually made 10 crosses in that week which was the, mo- um, the most out of all players in the Premier League that that game weekend he created four chances as well and when he has played he's, he's created a chance every 35 minutes and had a goal attempt every 33.4 minutes as well so I think he, he certainly looks like one that if I was to recommend a Chelsea attack he'd be the one to target I think you're probably right Anthony it's, it's the defence probably rather than the midfield or the attack that are probably worth considering and if everyone's got a bit of surplus cash now so to speak then targeting the likes of Ben Chilwell going big at the back again could be an option and um, he certainly looks the most nailed as well in terms of all the outfield stars a few rumours lurking around that Alonso was back on the scene <laughs> after Lampard had um, been fired but uh, Chilwell started the game and he's, he's been pretty impressive um, since he signed for Chelsea this year he played really poorly though I don't think you can have another appearance like that um, under Tuckle. I mean, that was the first first game and he was really, really bad. Um, it's a shame, but um, I'm sure he's he's by far the best left back, so I'm a left wing back, I guess, in this case. Um, so I'm sure that will continue. I mean, when I looked at it, I initially thought, of course, Werner uh, or Bamiang scored 56 goals in 63 games under him at Dortmund, but that was harpooned by the team selection. So I guess in, con- con- in common with you guys, defence where I was to... Um, the first one we use Rudiger, um, four point five million potential bargain. I think going forward, he's the man that TT identified as the Thiago Silva replacement at PSG, um, which I think is probably a good sign for his ongoing um, uh, involvement uh, in that kind of backline, especially if they stick to a three at the back. Um, with the wing backs, you know, Chilwell and Cho, who was being Moses, um, were very advanced. And I had a look at fullbacks under him, um, especially Lucas Piszczek at Dortmund, 2015-16, 16-17. There are lots of encouraging numbers on the stat in 2015-16. That was his most creative season ever. Um, that was um, TT's first with him, 1.25 key pass per 90. And the next season, he scored his most goals to date. There's also Juan Bernat um, at PSG in the Tuckle's first season there. His XA numbers soared um, from his time at Bayern. So he was averaging 1.55 XA per season at Bayern. That went up to 3.33 per season under the German manager. So uh, there's always the, these wingbacks getting into kind of uh, threatening positions, these, these creative, creatively threatening positions rather than scoring goals. Um, and the touch match shows that about how advanced they were. Nick mentioned Ziyech. There's also Havertz, um, a forgotten man, but he's only 21. We shouldn't be writing him off yet. He's got that elite reputation. 29 goals, 9 assists last season. Uh, sorry, last two seasons at Leverkusen as a uh, teenager. He's not found his feet yet. Laid low by COVID as well. And in my opinion, had a coach in Lampard who didn't know how to use him uh, versus how he was used at Leverkusen. Now he does, probably. And I think he could potentially be a very exciting asset going forward maybe not this season maybe one for next season perhaps as uh, uh, the new man's uh, methods take root but 8.2 million uh, he, next year if he, if he doesn't do very well this year next year he could well come in like 7, 7.5 well one to have a look at but yeah wait and see the Athletic call him a pragmatic manager who loves to tinker maybe we'll see Kai Havertz be a new Mount Est teacher's pet but either way as I said earlier Burnley Tottenham they strike me as great games to assess what's going on 
and we haven't really seen enough to jump in yet unless it's really good at 4.5 billion because that's probably worth the pump. Uh, staying with teams in blue, uh, James Kroll uh, says that as a fixtures man, uh, he can't look past Everton for the next few, plus the potential double game week 24. What do we think of this one? Uh, quite an interesting one. And I think this is probably going to be the basis of many people's transfers this week as well, because Nick said as well already 90,000 managers um, at the time of recording have brought in Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Anthony, what do you reckon here? Yeah, Tom, your segue game is on point tonight as well, as I want to say. <laughs> but uh, yeah, as for the everything players, yeah, no, it really is. No, that wasn't a pew-pew at all. Um, looking at the fixtures, the... Everton do have maybe a good next four. I wouldn't necessarily kind of look beyond that when I was when I was saying that they have good fixtures. So Newcastle at home, Leeds away, United away, Fulham at home. So that's okay. Now, the last, let's say, if you're looking at any of the last four, the last six weeks, for example, you don't see Everton attackers featuring in the top for shots or any of the other important details, in spite of the fact that they played against Sheffield United, West Ham, Leeds and Leicester. Um, of course, they're the obvious point in this is that Dominic Calvert-Lewin missed one of those, James missed 1.5 of those, uh, Luca Dean missed two of those, so there was an awful lot of important players missing, and now that the band is back together, they do look much more creative and much better in spite of not having, not, you know, getting a big result against uh, Leicester. Uh, in, the FA, or in the FA Cup against Sheffield Wednesday, they were quite good, James Rodriguez especially, eight key passes and two assists, both of them off corners, and he obviously got a goal against Leicester as well from one of his two attempts. Uh, Calvert-Lewin obviously ended his gold route as well against Sheffield Wednesday, which maybe makes sense more of the excitement about him in the market forces. But he only had two shots against Leicester. So like, we're not talking about someone who's suddenly kind of yeah. getting great opportunities served on a platter. So like, I don't think it's a black and white thing where you definitely need to get Everton players in. But I do think that because they just have a good next four fixtures and the band is coming back together, I think it's a blink and you'll miss it type of chance to really jump on them and to really profit from them perhaps turning in form. And there is definitely kind of the, I'm going to say, underlying indications to say that that might be coming, but really only based on short term time horizons and placing a lot of emphasis on a game against Sheffield Wednesday, who are in the bottom half of the championship. Yeah, all of the ingredients are there, aren't they? As you said, the supporting cast, they're all back together. Um, They've not astonishingly been back together since game week nine. That was the last time we saw double digits and game week 11 was the last time Hammers played with him as well. Um, I love the idea of bringing him in because of those swing, that swing in the fixtures. I'm talking him means Calvert-Lewin. I've got Jamie Vardy to get rid of. It was going to be Kane who came in um, and now it's definitely going to be Calvert-Lewin. I was actually going to be removing... Bamford to Calvert-Lewin to take minus four but now it's out the window and I'm probably going to do a straight swap um, another thing that should probably be very interesting uh, just for the game week to come uh, Newcastle yeah Newcastle at the back they've conceded the most big chances over the last six games that's Calvert-Lewin territory uh, they've also conceded the second most headed attempts in the last six games that's Calvert-Lewin territory and they've got the second worst XGC in the last six games only marginally behind West Brom so it's 0.1 XGC behind West Brom I'm looking to bring in Calvert-Lewin 100% and I could even captain him because it's a split pin game week um, with no clear captain so I'm uh, yeah I'm interested in kind of doing the uh uh, perhaps frowned upon uh, by and captain maneuver i've got violence to get rid of so um it is it's not good off my nose if i do it uh, nick what do you think about the everton lot yeah i definitely think calvert lewin looks like a, a standout pick for this week i was struggling actually how to, i was going to get him into my team how i'm going to fit him in but i think the cane injury probably offers me an opportunity to to get him back certainly with all the players back together everton looked like a, a Real proposition again, whilst you know, brings back the memories of the game week three, game week four earlier in the season. But, um, that Newcastle game looks particularly tasty, as you alluded to. You mentioned their, their poor defending, I was going to mention as well their, their dreadful attack. So, they only two goals in, in the last six games. I remember watching the, the Sheffield United Newcastle game, and they just looked absolutely toothless. It's only really Callum Wilson who might be able to scramble a penalty out of nowhere to get any sort of attacking return um, but the rest of the team look, look absolutely rubbish this season so I, I'm actually quite a big fan of um, Luca Dean who's, who's also back as, as was mentioned um, so despite actually missing eight games this season he's still got six assists so that's um, only Cresswell who's assisted more this season um, and of course we talked previously about his stats from last season only Trent created more chances as a defender and this illustrates obviously his attacking talent the likes of Dean and 
Jay Hamis Rodriguez being around to to feed um, Calvert Lewin. I, I certainly can see um, opportunities there for goals from Calvert Lewin and, and assists and perhaps a clean sheet as well, uh, considering how poor Newcastle have been going forward. Yep, uh, one of the teams in the mud at the moment. Um, but one of the teams on the up um, in contrast is Leicester. And we spoke about them last week a little bit. FPL Johnson um, says Everton and Leicester, Everton just discussed, of course, are quite appealing at the moment. Um, so what about Leicester, I guess? Um, our man, uh, FPL Crate Digger, though, sounds no of caution. He says, you know, Vardy and Ndidi are out, so maybe we should think again. Nonetheless, FPL Stonks points out that Leeds up next are juicy-looking opponents. So where are we uh, with the Foxes? Uh, Anthony, are you looking at bringing either of them in? Uh, not particularly, to be honest. Um, uh, looking at them, I guess, it's, it's no more than last week where we would have suggested that Madison and Barnes, or Harvey Barnes, that is, are probably the two best options there. And kind of any of the points that we mentioned last week about their potential, I think, still stand that, you know, both of them um, are overperforming their XG and have, they, you know, look good on the eye, but aren't necessarily going to return hugely are they value for 7.2 and 6.8 million uh, potentially if they can kind of continue scoring at a rate just above their xg um and the leads game is exciting but it is unfortunate that they're missing vardy um i I do kind of have questions about leicester's creativity overall and that does put me off and there is, I guess, the, the third option there, Yuri Tilemo. Um, I'm just he doesn't get enough shots on basically for me to be interested in him. And whilst he is a creative force, it's just not enough for me to take up one of my mm-hmm. midfielder slots when it's so competitive. And then Zayodi Perez, who is interesting and is playing as a centre forward at the moment with no Vardy or has been up to now. Um, but he didn't see much opportunities against Everton. And I don't think there's anything for me to be particularly excited about with him, even though we are I guess in terms of the calendar point of view, we are into the Iosi Perez zone, but re- maybe in terms of what point of the season we're actually at because of COVID and the way the fixtures are, I don't think we're quite in the Iosi Perez yeah, zone no, yet. We're, no, we're not. Weeks. Yeah, we have about 10 game weeks to get to the Iosi Perez zone. So with that in mind, I'm just, I'm, I'm giving them a miss, but I can totally see why people would want to bring them in. And of course, people have James Justin and he's probably going to punish me again, <laughs> but that's just every week at this point. Oh, James Justin, he is the Nick Pope um, of this year for so many people. Like as I said a few weeks ago, I think that's like game week eight, game week nine. Like the Leicester clean sheet is the one that I actively celebrate going every week. Sorry if you're a Justin owner. Yeah, I, I see. It's the same as being on the Nick Pope versus Nick Nope. That line, isn't it? It's exactly the same this year, where you're either a Justin fan or a, or a Justin hater, um, and I think it's. Um, with Leicester, they did look okay against Everton. Um, but, I mean, Maddie's streak of uh, a hot streak of scoring has ended. He, um, according to Brendan Rodgers, is also carrying a couple of injuries, which is also a bit worrying. Uh, Barnes got another assist, not quite as bad as the one last week, but I think it was a legitimate one. Uh, but the stats are not I stand by as well uh, my assertion that Barnes is a bit of a headless chicken. Um, Madison's the sort of player that you bring in on Sky, maybe. Or, you know, if, if you were kind of going for one week punt versus Leeds, I definitely would bring in Madison. Uh, but long term, I'm just not too sure I want that. Uh, want anyone from Leicester right now they're a really weird team to read that's for sure they're looking at their data it's um, very hard to make sense of the profile um, and that big change is mentioned by Crate Digger is that indeed he went off and he'll be out for a little while and I'm just hoping that that means that James Justin concedes every week hopefully gets a red card maybe because maybe missed the penalty as well on the way just negative Negative scores week by week would be absolutely fantastic. Yeah, an own goal as well, please. Own goal, missed the penalty and gets a red card because he's complaining about the fact he's missed the penalty. That would be perfect. And if he got the red card rescinded, so he did it again and again and again, that would be brilliant. Anyway. um, But I'd still like to see Leicester win because they're a very likeable team. (laughs) With all these things happening to Justin. (laughs) (laughs) Victory for everybody but Justin. (laughs) Right, Nick, what do you reckon? Yeah, I mean, we, we did actively celebrate, didn't we? The uh, the Justin Yellow card, you know, in our Slack group. That's oh, been the biggest celebration scene in a while, which was uh, quite crazy. But <laughs> yeah. he, he, uh, I've got a few regrets with him, obviously telling him on my wild card. 
due to rumours that Pereira was going to be back the next week, which just never ever materialised. A bit of a joke, but I, I actually, I actually do like the list assets. I think they're definitely options at the moment in the FBL. Just looking at the next nine games, it's just, it's just it looks like a fabulous run of fixtures. To be honest, I mean Leeds, Fulham, Wolves, Liverpool's a tough one, but then it's Villa, Arsenal, Brighton, Sheffield United, Burnley. So you know you could put someone in and they can sit there for a long time if if you do bring in a character like Justin if you need to make changes in the defence or um, Harvey Barnes or Madison and I'm still positive about Barnes we had a long chat about him last uh, pod so I won't repeat those points too much but I think certainly with Leeds and Fulham I remember the hype around Spurs uh, playing those uh, games just because of the fact that Son can run in behind and get lots of goals and we're all targeting Son and Kane for those particular fixtures I think Leicester potentially should be targeted for those fixtures as well and uh, you know I don't think Barnes is a headless chicken on autopilot running to the end of the pitch like Forrest Gump. I think he's definitely got a lot of potential picked up um, a cheeky assist this week as you as you mentioned Tom even though you, you you implied that it was a poor assist it was a no, that assist. was the week before was a bad assist <laughs> that was a um, house assist that one this week was a was legit assist I, I this that. was a this was a legit assist um and yeah 6.8 million pretty cheap for, and uh, yeah 42 goal attempts 45.8 percent shot accuracy so he's an accurate shooter um better than likes of Bruno uh so yeah I think uh I think he's actually quite an interesting differential punt if you are looking for a mid, mid-price mid yeah if you want a mid-price miss who's going to do daisy cutters into the keeper's arms then brilliant but yeah no um definitely um the next game at least for Leeds is a, is a good one week pump for Leicester and Leicester are of course traveling along very very well Final question this week. City defence armband. So FPL Quokka and FPL Awesome ask if City defenders are serious captaincy propositions for this week. Obviously, that's predicated by the fact that last week, uh, Mr. Cancelo, 17 points, 34. Um, Cancelo did, uh, his goal did come when no one was really paying attention anymore. Um, But yeah, I mean, it, it was one of those things that he was threatening to do for a long time and the likes of Anthony did bring him in and uh, were richly rewarded last week. So Anthony I, I held, no, I held, I held him when you were selling him that time for Kyle Walker. Oh God, you've had him for that long. <laughs> yeah. It's been a long-term investment. So, so you've been, you've been, uh... I got screwed over once basically the double game week when stones went and <laughs> yeah. race. Yeah. Well, you made up for it, didn't you? Uh, did. What do you think about captioning him than Anthony? Would you ever be in the market for doing that? I think it's definitely easier to say uh, yes now after what we saw the other day, but that is something that we, thought could happen for the longest time. And I think when you look at City's underlying data, let's say the last six games, my, my favourite time horizon, shots in the box that nobody has conceded less on a per-game basis. Um, they've only conceded two big chances in the last six. Two. T-W-O. And like Sheffield United that they're playing aren't exactly great. Four goals in the last six. On a per-game basis, they'd be 14th for shots, 14th for XG, 13th for shots in the box. Who's worse, um, you might ask? Uh, Fulham, Southampton, Everton, Crystal Palace and Newcastle have uh, less XG than them in that time, which I I thought was quite interesting. I'd have thought that Sheffield United were a little lower than that still, but no. Now, do I think I want to captain one of them? And that is the problem, is that I, I, I do feel like we've had two truly remarkable weeks for City defenders. And I don't necessarily think that even if we can continue to expect their defence to be brilliant, we can't expect continue to expect them to be getting double figures. And captaining the right City defender, I think, is going to become as big of a challenge as actually having the stones to captain them in the first place. And so with that in mind, I, I think... Hey, it would, hey, hey. Ah, yes, someone got it. Thank you. That I do think that with that in mind, I think I'm going to still be a little bit vanilla and probably captain maybe Gundogan actually this week just to have a City player captain. Although there are maybe other options out there as well. But look, overall, basically, do I think I'd captain a City defender? I think it's not a bad idea, but I'm maybe still a bit too boring to do it. Cool. Nick, what do you reckon? I guess both questions there. Anthony has given perhaps his captaincy pick as well as the City Defender sort of idea. What do you think to both questions? Would you captain City Defender and who are you captaining? So I think if you owned Cancelo, he'd probably be the more exciting captain pick to go for. Obviously, we talked about BM, Matt having that success this particular week. Good chance of further successes with Cancelo. Um, definitely with Sheffield United at home, you know, the clean sheet that's pretty nailed. I think Diaz and um, Stones, you, you'd just be hoping for a Buenos Diaz, wouldn't you, if, if uh, 
in a cheeky goal or something like that ultimately <sighs> so you know it's it's not going to happen probably I mean we're not going to see another John Stones brace um anytime soon I don't think so it's I'm not inclined to captain one of those guys myself because ultimately you're just watching for corners all, all the entire game and hoping that you know um, Ray and Brewster doesn't finally turn up with a goal. So it, it's not for me. I think Cancelo perhaps looks like an interesting differential pick. Um, there's not really many other captain picks out there. Um, you know, and usually, as you said, the premiums aren't performing. So I look at my team. Harry Kane was going to be my captain, but now he's injured. So. I've got some decisions to make there. Um, I, I started thinking actually I could go for Sterling perhaps, but I've got a bit. Of, I'm, a, I'm a bit anxious that he's going to like miss out, you know, and he's going to come off the bench and get one point captain. So that makes me very anxious. So oh, I could even go for for Salah, even though he obviously, as we mentioned many times, he hasn't scored in, in six weeks or so. You know, it, he he did um, score tonight. It was it's very unfortunate in the build up for me. No, handballed it. Uh, so, you know, that wasn't Salah's fault. So he did actually put the ball in the back of the net and, uh, yeah, he could deliver against West Ham. So maybe I'll just go with him. No, that certainly makes sense. I'm probably in the same boat. I had Captain Sterling about you and just take the risk in it because the ownership is so low that you might as well go with it. I mean, it's a split-pin game week and, and uh, it looks like with Kane out the picture as well, it's going to be Son, the majority, I guess, people will be on Son. Most of the algos will go with Son. Probably a reluctant son almost. So there's definitely room for a uh, a captain uh, slightly off the beaten path. In terms of the city defenders, um, I agree with what you guys have said basically. Um, Cancelo would be the one you would captain. Stones and Diaz, the ceiling is probably nine, uh, a cleaning free bonus. That's probably what you'd be expecting from them. Uh, maybe Diaz is due, um, but I don't think that's going to happen. They'll probably find lots of salty Ruben owners. Um, if you do captain him, doesn't get anything. Um, I think the in terms of my captain this week, I'm really looking at Dominic Calvert-Lewin as due to the numbers that I've mentioned. I liked um, looking at the data for uh, uh, Crystal Palace last week and then electing to play Suchek over um, uh, over holding and that working out really well. And I, I I would kind of think that that may well work out again because Newcastle looks so atrocious um, with everybody now behind Calvert-Lewin. It's only a matter of time until he scores again. Um, so like game with 11 his last goal. Obviously, there is a gambitality element to that, but yeah, it's home, it's Newcastle, um, who are floundering. Oh, it, it could really be, uh, if he gets his brace, that, that's great for the week. I guess the lack of a, a clear captaincy pick does mean that, that it is a week to be doing a player like that. Uh, the only drawback is that it's the, it's the first game of the game week. Uh, so if he does screw up, then that's my entire weekend ruined, or my entire weekend at least, off Twitter, ignoring the fact that FPL goes on and being very, very interested in the woman that I live with, um, who I occasionally speak to on weekends. Transfers them. You've all heard our captains. Anthony, what are you doing in terms of the transfer market? So I'm between two options, really. One of those is the aforementioned DCL, who I basically, it's a team structure thing for me that I don't, I kind of have a very kind of obvious first 10 players that I'd be playing and then a not very certain 11th player. And I could make that much easier for myself if I brought in DCL for Brewster. Although I could say the same, but it would probably mean selling the likes of uh Suchek or something and I could actually bring in San for them such that I have so much money in the bank after selling KDB for Gundogan so it's one of those two options I may even captain one of those players if I do bring them in in the end but I'm I'm kind of sitting on it I'm just not 100% certain what I want to do and I might like to have two free transfers there going forward I think more likely than not I will upgrade Brewster to DCL because it's just does the least disruption and has the less less chances of regret involved in it at that point, then I'll be in a tough bind whether to captain him or we're going to one. But I, I think law of averages says I'll probably go with DCL if I bring him in. Yeah, for, for me, the, the cane move, uh, the cane injury has really disrupted my plans. Um, so it probably is going to be another hit, unfortunately. Um, he's going to have to be sacrificed. And I've, I've been weighing up a, a few ideas just in the last couple of hours. I've kind of whittled it down to two ideas. So one's going to be Kane and Basuma um, leaving for Grealish and Calvert-Lewin sort of going back to sort of game week five wildcard times, better times for me, having those guys, I think I had them for about six weeks in a row, um, smashing it and and doing very well. So I could go back to that. The other alternative is to get in Son for Basuma and move Kane on for Watkins. 
So a couple of ideas there. It's, it's one of those where I really can't decide which one's best. I'm going to have to have a little bit of a think about it. But unfortunately, I think Kane's injury means that Shea Adams gets a stay of execution in my team. What? And, and <laughs> stays a little bit longer because there's nothing, I can't do anything otherwise. I mean, I could potentially do Kane and Adams to to Watkins and Calvert-Lewin. That's another option, perhaps. That looks really <laughs> good. That, that's a really good move. <laughs> yeah, then I, then I can't get in Son, but, you know. I mean, so. they've got they've got um, City, haven't they, in two weeks? So, you know, you could potentially spin it that way and just be like, well, I'll leave it without Kane, see how they do, and then bring in Son in two weeks. Take a hit. Six points between you and Anthony. How are you going to feel if Anthony overtakes you after being 40, 50 points ahead of him? A hundred. A hundred? Jeez. That's a long season. <laughs> <laughs> I was saying that from about game week three. Yeah, it's it oh, yeah. been a long one. Interesting. All right, so um, I'm going to do Vardy to Calvert-Lewin. Pretty set in stone. Uh, the other one I'm looking at doing is maybe Suchek to Son as well. I uh, know Suchek, yeah, 15 points. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, we will see. It might be worth it. Like, I trust Son to score more regularly than Suchek, and it saves me a transfer going forward. And also, it's just the ultimate ass cover to bring him in, isn't it, really? Um, because I'm going to be well, flinching whenever Spurs play and I don't own Son. And if, if there's no Kane, then Son's the guy. Like, there's no there's no, there's no, no 50-50 about that. Just might as well get, have, have him in and cover that downside. I'm sure he'll pay him back that minus four over time. And uh, yeah, as I mentioned a second ago, I think if I do buy uh, Cabot-Lewing along with uh, Anthony, I'll probably be captaining him. I'm tempted to chance my arm because it can't get any worse, to be honest. And that's it this week. Cool, thanks. Yeah, we were Who Got the Assist. Thanks so much, as always, for listening. And don't forget to hit the subscribe button if you haven't already. Yeah, cheers. Thanks so much for listening, guys. Who Got the Assist at gmail.com if you want to send on some correspondence. In the meantime, there's only 24 hours shelf life in this pod, so we're going to release Tom to get editing and get this up as soon as he can. Uh, but in the meantime, you will hear us again on Sunday night after this weekend gets another round of Premier League matches finished with. Yes, more night shifts for me. Hooray! In the meantime, I assisted you. Uh, think about whether you should bench your cheaper assets in fantasy football. Good luck on the weekend, and we'll speak to you uh, on Monday. Slon. Bye. Oh, it's a goal. Who got the assist? Who got the assist? Sports Social Podcast Network.